Well, Lord, we do thank you so much for this night. Give you free reign here tonight. We put all of this into your hand, your word, your Holy Spirit, your uh, application to our lives. We give you glory and honor, Lord. We, we, we listen for your voice, and the voice of another we will not follow. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Titus. Titus. Three chapters. Should only take us about eight weeks to get through it. So, uh, Titus is the third in the line of what's called the pastoral books. Um, mainly for the, for the uh, teaching and, and, and uh, uh, equipping of Timothy and Titus to be pastors, to, to go in and, and establish pastors and to, so, to, to, uh, to, to lead a church, I guess is the best way to say it. So I gave you two handouts. First one has a little map on it. And you see that uh, there's Athens up there, as well as at the bottom, there's the island of Crete. And the reason the map is on there is that Titus was a native of Greece, and he was not a Jew, and he, but he was converted uh, through the teaching of Paul. And he ended up at Crete. Interestingly enough, uh, Titus traveled quite a bit. He worked in a number of, of very high-profile churches in, the, in that first century and was very influential uh, in those churches. And even though it's a very small book, a very short book, uh, it, it is not an indicator of his importance uh, or his impact. He was extremely uh, useful and extremely involved in the first century church's success uh, throughout Europe. Um, he was Paul's interpreter, and uh, he was that because he uh, Paul dictated or, or uh, spoke in Latin, and then it was translated by uh, Titus into Greek. So when after his conversion, if we remember in the book of Acts, he took Titus to Jerusalem. Uh, I would imagine to give him a, a feel of the, the context of what Jesus did. Um, it was Titus was the one who that Paul took to the temple, um, did not take him inside, although that's what everybody accused him of. And they started to uh, be very upset. Um, and they wanted to have Titus circumcised. Uh, Titus was against this, uh, but uh, nicely uh, so was so was Paul, and so it did not happen. Why was it bad for Titus to go into the temple? Gentile, because he was a non-Jew, and it was against the law, against the Jewish law, to for a, for a non-Jew to be anywhere inside the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles outside. Um, here you go, a couple of handouts. There was a court of the Gentiles that they could go into, but he couldn't be inside. But he didn't take them inside. Um, uh, it was a erroneous uh, accusation. So, 
Paul first sent Timothy to Corinth, and we all know that Corinth was a major, major church in the first century. And we also know that Corinth had a lot of trouble, had a lot of issues. Um, we'll see here in just a moment that he actually was the one who carried the uh, second letter to the, the Corinthians to Corinth. Um, after he served in Corinth for a period of time, he was in Macedonia. Did you copy and paste this? Or did you write it? Because it sounds like you're trying to talk in Old English. <laughs> oh, this is all Old English. I, I cop- so we, we, we don't call it copy and paste here. We call it R&D. Okay. Rip off and duplicate. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if... Cause this is actually an 1800s transcript. Uh, it was a historical book of the New Testament um, written in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. It's, I wasn't being accusatory. I was trying to be funny. Yes, I know you were. Okay. And... Uh, don't mess with me, man. Don't mess with me. <laughs> so, um, so he was. He brought the second letter uh, to the Corinthians to Corinth um, as a the overseer on uh, Crete, and that's where he was. That's when when Paul wrote this letter to, to Titus. He was in Crete, and that's why the, the, we have the map there. But his the he was telling. Uh, Titus to keep a strict eye on the Cretans and to reprove them with severity because they were a people that were addicted to lying, wickedness, idleness, and gluttony. So there's a couple different places in the New Testament where the Cretans are uh, pointed out as being some pretty uh, uh, rough people. That's where you get the name Cretan? That's where you get the name Cretans. You're a Cretan. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be something else completely. But, you know, nice try. <laughs> Cretans. All right. So, Titus was uh, um, sent to preach the gospel in Dalmatia. Uh, that is not where we get Dalmatian puppies. Uh, that, as far as I know, it well, might be. You never know. See, our, our Bible school, you learn things here by accident that you don't find. They don't learn in other places on, uh, on purpose. Or you just want to say things like that to keep me from asking stupid questions. You know, we're trying to stay ahead of you. It moves the class right along, yes. So, but then afterwards he returned to Crete, and he died at the age of 94 there and was buried in Crete. So, long life. Uh, lots of impactful ministry. Uh, very interesting guy. That's really about all we know. We don't have uh, books written about him. You know, full books. We don't have historical uh, background, deep historical background. That's quite a bit, though. I mean, for a Bible character, we actually know quite a bit about him from uh, those things. So, who wrote the book of Titus? Who wrote? Who 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 wrote the book of Titus? <laughs> Um, that would be Paul. He identifies himself as the author. And he uh, calls himself the bondservant of God and an apostle of Christ, Jesus Christ. So he writes this on his third missionary journey after he was released from his first imprisonment. And so lots of things going on here all at the same time. Paul is, is uh, pretty much... 
figuring out that his time is going coming short. He's trying to duplicate himself in people as quickly as possible. But whenever you duplicate yourself in, in somebody, you've got to train them. You've got to you've got to get them ready for them to lead. So Paul writes to Titus from Nicopolis in about the year AD sixty three. Um, it is the apostle's release from his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, he left Timothy in Ephesus, and he uh, went to uh, he went with Titus to Crete, where he intended Titus to lead and organize the island's churches. Um, and so that is the context of where why he's writing to him and where. Why is Titus so important? Why is it in the Bible? Well, obviously, they, they back then when they canonized the Bible thought it was important. It was a book that they read on a regular basis. It has uh, the same uh, style, a little bit different wording, of the requirements of an overseer, of a bishop, uh, leaders in the church. Um, but it's another place where that is reinforced that it can't just be anybody. It has to be somebody who's called, somebody who's faithful, somebody who's apt to teach, um, somebody who is trustworthy, who is all of the different. We'll talk about that when we get to the actual first or end of the chapter. All right. Then, on the back side of this one, um, oh, the other reason that uh, Titus historically is so important is because in every chapter he he specifically outlines what Christianity is. The first one is Titus 1, 1 through 4, um, where he talks about the manifestation of Jesus Christ on the earth. That he is he is specifically saying this is what Christianity is. The next one is in chapter 2, 11 through 14, and then chapter 3, 4 through 7. All three passages involve the manifestation or the appearance of God in Christ, rooting the Christian faith in the incarnation or the, the appearance of Jesus Christ on the earth. So, um, very important. The, saying that unequivocally Jesus was God, um, which was a major uh, point of uh, discussion, argument, uh, bone of contention, whatever you want to call it, in the New Testament church. Remember, the what was the name of the, uh, the philosophical thought that was battling against the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh? Do you remember what it is? Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnosticism said that if God is good, if God is pure, if God is perfect, that he would never be found in an imperfect Environment, I guess is the best way to say it. The earth. Since the earth is evil, there's no way a, a pure God would come to a impure world. Well, we know that's not true. God, God is not affected by the impurity of the world. He came in a pure vessel, though, and he had to do that uh, supernaturally. Um, how did he do that where he was not affected by the impurity of sin? Do you remember? from last year's uh, theology that we did on Sundays? Anybody remember? How did God bypass the impurity of the sin nature? Because of the virgin birth. It didn't require the bloodline from Adam 
Yes, he, the the word the Bible says that he he uh, visits the sin of the of the fathers into the fourth, uh, third, and fourth generation. Sin is passed down through the male. Everybody, settle down. I can hear the comments already. But sin is passed down through the male. Do you remember what uh, Paul said? I think it was in Corinthians when we were there. Might have been Galatians. Just recently, I was even reading it. But he said that it wasn't Eve who sinned. It was Adam who sinned. But Eve disobeyed, but Adam sinned. Right? Is that that a true statement? Oh, now i got to look it up. All right. It says she was deceived. She was deceived, but Adam sinned. Yes, that's... um, Yeah, because we were talking about he had a choice. Yes. Didn't you know? Chose not to. Now that I'm thinking it, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Why? I must be force field around my fingers. They don't want to. So one thing I don't like about uh, touch pads is they don't always register. in 1 Timothy, because I knew we did it just recently. Okay, back, let's read it exactly. Chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, well, no, I can't use this as a, now that I look at the exact wording. First uh, Timothy chapter two, beginning with verse thirteen. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self control. Okay, that, I can use it. Let me let me explain why. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. He knew what he did. He did it on purpose. He purposefully did it. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So the the sin is still because of what Adam did rather than what Eve did. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam went, okay, I'm just going to do it, do the wrong thing on purpose. Okay. So that was close. All right. So. How in the world did we get there? Does anybody know why I got to them? I could play the uh, the recorded back, and we could. It's uh, the nice thing about that. Titus two, eleven through fourteen. Why is Titus so important? Oh, talking about the doctrine. You're talking about the virgin Okay. Yep. 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 Oh yeah. That. Oh yeah. We started talking about Gnosticism, and then that. How did How did God circumvent that? Uh, that requirement of purity and that how Jesus was sinless, he was perfect in every way, never did sin. 
Gnosticism, talking about that. Good. And then also in chapter 3, 4 through 7. All right. So, any thoughts or questions about all of that? Let's jump into Titus then. So, Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Where did he promise that? Anybody know? Yeah. It's in Genesis after after he cursed Adam and Eve and the serpent. He said that um, that her seed shall crush. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's quite the same. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. That's an interesting uh, because I don't know that. I don't know that I know where that would be that he promised it before the ages began so there yeah there would there i don't know of a scripture that says that in hope in hope of eternal life which god who never lies promised before the ages began so he 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 made the promise of eternal life for those who uh, believe the promise from the very beginning even before time that's interesting I wonder if that's part of Paul's revelation that um, that even he didn't write down because I don't know of any other where any other place in the New Testament that says that. So make a note on that. Somebody find an answer for me this week. That would be really cool. That's something I've never uh, never never stopped on that verse before. I'll tell you the honest truth, I don't spend a lot of time in Titus. You know, Titus. Pretty much has the verses that talk about uh, what the uh, uh, requirements of an elder is, and, and some uh, teaching points for different age groups and different things like that. But there you go. There's a there's a, a, a very interesting t- truth in Titus chapter one, uh, verse two, that I had never seen before. The Jameson Fawcett commentaries is a contracted expression for. Purpose before began, literally before the ages of time, and promised actually in time. The promise springing from the eternal purpose, as in Second Timothy one nine, the gift of grace was a result of the eternal promise before the world began. That's all it says. It doesn't bring. It doesn't have any Old Testament reference. Right. It doesn't have a reference for it. Yeah. Let me try. I can try on the commentary and try. Oh, interesting. Well, keep looking that up whenever, whenever. Uh, we can go back to that. Verse 3. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So, Paul, once again, as he does in many of his different letters, he declares who he is. Here's why you should read this letter. Here's why you should listen to me. And this is even to Tim or to Titus, somebody who knows him. So he's he's he knows that this letter is going to be read beyond just to Titus. It's going to be read to the churches. All of those all of these letters were, were circulated 
They were reread. It was it was used. They would not have called it scripture. I don't believe. Um, eventually, they do in the third century. You know that these letters kept circulating. They preached out of them. They used them as guidelines. And then in the third century, they began to canonize it, uh, quantify it, uh, codify scripture, and use them. Well, Peter refers to um, Paul's writings as scripture, doesn't he? He refers to... He says there's things that are hard to understand. In Paul's writings. Yeah, but in that same context, he does refer to it as now scripture. We, now we got to look at that, too. See if you can find that. You should tell me where it's at. Because see, I've always taken it as the old, the old uh, testament, the the law and the prophets. What's the Second Peter three sixteen. Second Peter. about these things in all his letters they contain some things that are hard to understand things which the undestructed and unstable distort to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures <coughs> that's 2 Peter 316 <coughs> um, boy I don't know that I would use it as a hard and fast um, Reference that his is scripture, but it, it says the other scriptures, and I think that's they just they were distorting the Old Testament also, you know, at the same time. Could be, uh, not you know, I mean, obviously now we look at it as definitely as scriptures, but but I don't know that Peter looked at it as scriptures or that the first century thought of it in this with the same same uh, weight. Yeah, I think if they thought they were writing doctrine scripture, that they would have been a lot more careful. I think, in my opinion. No idea. No, I, that, it's one of those I go, hmm, I don't know. It's interesting. Okie doke. So, verse 4, To Titus, my true child in the common of faith, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Savior. Then he jumps right directly into qualifications for elders. Why? What, what what's so important about a leader having qu- being qualified? So not everyone can do it and just stand up and say, "Well, I'm going to do this just because mm-hmm. you're going to listen to me," and then start preaching all around stuff. Mm-hmm. You got to prove that you can, um, you know, have self control and some discipline and and be able to be taught by the Lord. Mm-hmm. You can very easily destroy a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people's faith can be destroyed very quickly. Well, they're under-shepherds, so they have to know how to keep the sheep. Mm-hmm. They have to have some skill to them, yeah. They have to... They, they can't just be novices. 
Otherwise, yeah, you'll hurt people. You know, with 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 anything that's important, um, think about what is so devastating right now about what's happening in our country with this whole anti-law enforcement movement. It's devastating to the very core of our of our of our country because it's building distrust. Whether distrust is is deserved or not, let's just set that off to the side for a second. Just the very fact that there is distrust makes people one either either um, anti and and it, anything that a police officer does is wrong and bad and and distrustful or the other side where you just get tired of hearing about the whole thing and you just want to quit listening to it you just want to, you don't you get tired of it and neither one of those is is the right answer because without restraint anarchy is going to be soon behind it if people think that we don't have to respect the law if we don't have to respect uh, the judicial system, because the judicial system is wrong. They don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. They're that kind of thought. Um, 20, 30, 50, no, I shouldn't go 20, 30, because the 60s, it was rampant. It's probably where, you know, and before that, I suppose it was rampant too. But the idea that, that we can throw off all restraints and, and somehow govern ourselves rightly is a wrong idea. We need checks and balances in our lives. The best among us need it. Um, obviously, we don't need to be thrown in jail for every little thing we do, and so on and so forth, but we still need that that standard. So, move over into the spiritual realm. That's the natural world. You move over into the spiritual realm. If the leaders in the spiritual realm are corrupt... Or they are uh, damaging in whatever way. How many of you remember Peter Popoff? Remember the name? I don't remember anything else about it. See, I, I've been a Christian a long time. I, I remember stuff that most people don't even. Peter Popoff was a uh, was a faith healer, and he was he would he would come into a into a meeting, and for years people followed him. And he would walk in and he would look, walk up to you and he would name you, tell you what your phone number was, what your street address was, um, tell you what you came for, what you were believing for, what, you know, that you had a sister who was, had pancreatic cancer and that guy, you know, that you're praying for God to heal you and heal her and just wanted to let you know God says he's going to heal you. I mean, that's specific. And for years he was going around and he was being that specific until somebody caught him with a transmitter and a and an earpiece in his ear, and somebody was reading the cards that they filled out on the way into the meeting. I mean, a total scam. Total scam. But people gave him hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars because they thought he had a connection to God. Um, he's back on television again now. But, but people widely won't even recognize... When a true word of knowledge now is spoken, um, I remember the '80s when Jim Baker fell. 
I mean, it rocked the Christian world. Absolutely rocked the Christian world. Not everybody liked Jim Baker. I mean, I remember as a, as a high school teenager, we only got three channels on television. And it was either the, the, the Jim and Tammy show, or what actually used to be PTL before that, praise the Lord. Then when they, as a teenager, they in the 70s, they changed it to the Jim and Tammy show. And I, as a teenager, I knew they're in trouble. When they changed it from Praise the Lord to the Jim and Tammy show, there was something wrong. And whether people liked him or not, that's, that, that was just, okay, great, you have your feeling. But when he fell, there are whole groups of Christians who walked away from Christianity because of his choice to not live a pure life. Now that's... that's dangerous stuff. I mean, to, to stand before God someday, and I, I have that same concern for my life. Someday I'm going to stand before God, and He's not going to just ask me, how did you do? He's going to say, you know, there's somebody over here, there's somebody over there, that person over there uh, is is closer to me, and, and, is, and it has great reward because of your ministry. But you also had so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, that you harmed them in some way. And, and and push them away from, you know, heaven forbid that's part of the lineage. So what Paul is doing is he's setting out a a guideline for these leaders. He's not, um, I know what you meant, he, you know, you, you, you got to have some standard. He wasn't trying to keep people out. He was just making sure only the right ones got in as leaders. I mean, everybody is a, everybody is a, uh, Believer and can be useful in the kingdom of God, but the Bible even says, "Don't don't too many of you desire to be a leader, because leaders are going to be judged doubly harsh." That's scary stuff. I mean, that's for me. It is a constant reminder of living your life right, doing the right things, making the right choices. Uh, I was. Deb and I were joking a while back, and I said, I can't, I can't even sin in, willingly in my dreams. Because I just, you know, something will happen in your dream, and you're sort, you know, I know dreams are your mind trying to sort things out of the day, and so you, know, you have whatever, and then something will happen. Uh, I, I have this, this horrifying dream that somehow I'm a part of a um, uh, bank robbery. And that we we're getting away with it, but but I'm always living with that fear that I'm that we're going to be found, you know. And it's just it's this it's it's my one of the my dreams that I hate the worst. I, I actually enjoy the tornado dreams better than I do the bank robber dreams. You know, so that's probably more way more information than anybody. See, Deb's not here to stop me. Deb, you're not here to stop me. <laughs> so he says here, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put. Uh, what remain, this is verse 5, into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, wow, talk about setting the bar high right off the bat. They have to be above reproach, which means that nobody can come to, the, come to you and say, I know something that they did wrong and they're unrepentant, they're, they're whatever. Now, above reproach, is there anyone without sin? Hmm. Or at least past sin. No. But reproach is willing sin that you're not repented of. 
that you aren't having dealt with, that you're not, you know, whatever it may be. And above reproach means that your your life is examined. You you people have the right, and and it's not judging that person. I mean, you're judging that person. Here's here's where that word judging has a a two sided look to it. You're judging them in as much as you're saying, does their life line up with these expectations or these rules? But you're not judging, well, how could they do that? Because we all know how, how they could do that. I mean, I know how I could do it. You know, Is it really warm in here? Is it really warm in here? Justin, can you open up the window for me? Yeah, right after I'm done figuring out what bank robbery dreams me. <laughs> it was one of the ones that popped up. Is it really? <laughs> that's, that's scary. Okay. <laughs> Don't don't share it. We're all getting a new. Apparently, you don't want me to share it. <laughs> well, I don't care. All right. I started looking at you, funny. Yes. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Well, part of it is I really like. Uh, what's the what's the name of those? Like uh, Ocean's Eleven. What's the name? What were those? Heist. I love heist movies. Absolutely love heist movies. But that's another thing. <laughs> All right. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, in our society, that's not really necessarily the problem. Now, somebody might say, well, what about someone who's divorced? Is a person who is divorced somehow excluded from ever being a part of ministry? No. No. Why? Because it's just talking about polygamy. It's not talking about about uh, past divorces. Because divorce was one of the... It was okay to get divorced back then. God doesn't like it, but he... Because of the hardness of their heart, he allowed Moses to let people get divorced. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. That's your answer, and you're sticking to it, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I think some and of you would apply this to me in that. Certainly does. Yeah, certainly people do. And you wouldn't have anybody in the ministry today if you didn't allow anybody who was divorced. Well, you know, there has to be certain. a certain amount of yeah. There has to be a certain amount of grace that's mm-hmm. involved in it. If there's, I mean, no one's perfect, so there has mm-hmm. to be grace. I have, a, I have a friend who has a friend, and the friend of the friend is a minister in a certain denomination whom I will not mention. And the friend was having, the, 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 the minister friend was having trouble uh, in his marriage. And he came to my friend and said, what do I do about this? And he goes, well, number one, you do not divorce her. You'll never minister again. Kill her. They'll forgive you for that. They'll, they'll actually let you... Uh, uh, I'm kidding. It was a joke. But he said, he goes, if you kill her, they'll actually let you give a testimony about that later, how God redeemed you from that. <laughs> but don't get divorced, because that's the unforgivable sin for a minister. So, the husband of one, of one wife. Interestingly enough, um, I have actually ran into that situation in the last year. Um, with the people that are in Hungary. Um, the Dan and Marta called one night and said, Pastor John, you get to be the judge. Uh, what do we do in this situation? And I said, which situation? Well, 
of family came into the church. Everybody in the family got saved. Parents, the kids, everybody in the family got saved. And, he said, and they said that the kid, everybody is actually really saved. I mean, it's not like they're just saying it. They're showing fruits of repentance. They're showing fruits of love. They're in the Word. They're in the Bible school. They're, they're members of the church. It's awesome. But they, they happened to be reading the Bible one day, and it said, they, they read this verse that said that uh, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and they asked, is, is it a sin to have more than one wife? If so, which one should I divorce? The guy has three wives. And it's like, well, what do you say about that? You know, what do you, what do, you do? I said, no, my first question was, is it their custom? Is it their um, uh, culture to take more than one wife? And they said, yes. Yeah. So with some of the, the Roma people, it is their culture to have more than one wife. I said, okay. So were they married? Were all three, because it was a husband and it was a man and three wives. They were all formally married before they got saved. Yes, that is what happened. They were all married. All the kids are teenager age now. Okay. Hmm. There's, there's not just one side of this question. Because it isn't just, what do we do in this case? Because whatever you do in this case is going to apply to every case thereafter. Can you give one answer that fits all? Well, the answer to that is no, you can't. So we talked, we prayed about it, we studied the scriptures, we didn't make a quick decision, we prayed about it a bunch, discussed the daylights out of it, and the, what do you think the answer is? I don't know what my opinion is. I don't know what your answer is. My opinion is is talk about polygamy, mm-hmm. and it's not permitted mm-hmm. because it's polygamy. Because Paul states that he wishes people would be like him, you know, single, so they could devote their whole life to God. When you have a wife, I think Paul made it clear that your your focus is on your wife. Your wife's mm-hmm. focus is on her. Mm-hmm. When you have more than one wife, you have no time to give attention to the church and to the ministry. <laughs> Three wives. I don't know. Yeah, you see, my my wife's not here. I just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gross. I would not do well in that situation. I think it's interesting. Oh, don't get me wrong. I think it's interesting. I don't understand how people can live like that, but I am open to learning about other cultures and situations. Um, but it also says, what comes to my mind is it says in the Bible, you know, if you married, if you were, I don't remember where it is, but it talks about, you know, if you married someone who is of different faith and you marry them before you become saved, then you can't just divorce them just because, oh, I'm saved now and you're not saved, so I'm going to kick you to the curb. But if, if it was, if if that was the situation before they were saved, then after they can't just shirk their responsibilities because they got saved. I agree. I don't think there should have been a divorce at all, but I don't think there should have been a ministry position either. Wait, this was a pastor? No. Oh, okay. 
No, this was someone though who was who was coming up through the church, uh, but and had aptitude to lead. Oh, yeah. oh. and had, had ability to lead, but was not um, was not leading to begin with. So I uh, oh, you can read it to me in a second when you get a chance. So I, I I was I was thinking I need to get one of these for when people give a good answer, but I, I finally found the app real quick. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Um, there we go. I have it ready. Um, the uh, um, answer that we gave was a conglomeration of all of it. Number one, exactly right. There's a, the verse that says, if you come in and you're a slave, don't try to not be a slave. If you come in free, don't think you have to become a slave to be more spiritual. If you come in single, don't necessarily have to look for a, a mate. But if you come in married, don't think, well, now I'm going to get rid of my mate. Kind of a deal. So however you came into the situation, you shouldn't be forced to have to change that situation. Um, one of my questions was, do they all love each other? And they said, very much so. The family is a family. It is a true family and in every sense of the word. And I said, okay, then here, here would be my answer. Is they came into it polygamous. Okay. They can stay married. I, I don't have a problem with them staying married. They, they love each other. There's a, it's a healthy relationship. Um, it's their culture. It's not our culture. They've been living that way for hundreds of years, probably even you know a thousand years or so. Okay, that's fine. But they can't be a leader. They can't teach. They can't lead. Because that is one of the qualifications, is you're the husband of one wife. And if we make an exception on a scriptural... It doesn't say you have to be the husband of one wife to be a Christian. But it does say you have to be the husband of one wife to be a leader. And to be a, an elder, an overseer, someone who's a teacher of any sort. And so I said, you know, I, I have no problem with them staying married. But they cannot be in leadership. They can be a blessing to the church. They can help. They can serve. They can do outreach. They can do witnessing. They, they can do all the other parts of Christianity. They just cannot be a leader. And it's not because we're trying to be mean. But we have to, be, we have to honor Scripture for what Scripture says. But... And here comes the, the eternal theological but. But, from here on out, because now you have this family who is a family, who has multi, guy who has multiple wives, what does the 17-year-old young man think? Well, I just don't want to be a leader. This is going to work out just fine for me. Mm-hmm. From this point on, nobody gets to be polygamous. I mean, not... not not if somebody else out in the world gets saved and comes in. We're not talking about that person. But we're talking about somebody who is a Christian, who does know the Lord, that all of a sudden they decide, well, I want two wives. No. Not in, the, not in this church. That's not, that's, so I said that that would also be my requirement, is that if a person is saved and they are not married, they only marry once. They only have one, one wife. So it was, you know, it's, why do we have these rules now? So then it really comes to, why does Paul say this? Why should there only be the husband of one? Why should a, why should a leader have only one wife? Part of it is time. If you have more than one wife, you can't, 
give. I mean, you only have so much time to give anyway. And an, a, a multiple family, a multiple marriaged family, there isn't much time for anything other than work and life, work and family. And, and... You'd also be outnumbered. <laughs> we already are. <laughs> we already are. When, when God created Adam and Eve... He created one man, one woman. Mm-hmm. And how our culture settled on that, you know, way back. Europe, I mean, well before Europe. and But that's about it. I mean, European, Europe was about the only place that had was monogamous, one man, one woman. I don't think we have one good example in scriptures of polygamy working, I don't think. Well, you, you got Jacob. Jacob had four wives, and it didn't seem like at, at, at different, you know, any time they had arguments. But yeah. that's, all, that's just what they actually talked about. I mean, the, it, they don't, it doesn't blow up super crazy, mm-hmm. but that's just what they put in it. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, okay, well, what happens when the fairy tale gets shut off mm-hmm. and real life begins? Yep. But even like Abraham... Abraham had Sarah, and then there was uh, Hagar, but then he also married beyond that, mm-hmm. you know? Now, why did they have multiple marriages back then? To populate the earth. Populate the earth. And they're, they're by, by nature, there are more girls born than boys in, in population numbers. In, in did it actually, did God tell them, is there any scripture that's, that God says, okay, take this wife, this wife, and this wife. No. There wasn't. So that was just that could very well I don't believe just so. that man I saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. I don't believe there's any scripture where, where God told a man to take another, a second, third, or fourth wife. Not that I can, not that I know of. I've never mm-hmm. heard of it. And that's why I, I that's just, a good, that's a good point. I, I, I don't know of one. I mean, there are definitely, <coughs> he actually told Solomon not to do it. And he did it. Um, David did it, but that was he. Did, he didn't have happy marriages. You know, so I think the only <laughs> the only happy marriage he had was with what's his name's wife, Nabal's wife. Uh, uh, can't remember. I can remember his name. Can't remember her name. Abigail. Is it Abigail? She was the one that kept him from killing Nabal. That Nabal died in the sleep that night anyway, or whatever. So, it's just one of the requirements. It, it has. It probably has a lot of of uh, um, practical reasons. Maybe more so than than um, spiritual reasons. Other than, as a leader of a church, we were just talking about it recently. Um, we just heard about another case where where a marriage of a, of a pastor and his wife disintegrated. Just this last week, we heard about it, and it's like if if it, it will eat you up and it will spit you out if you don't tend to that marriage on a regular basis, continually, and never taking it for granted, because you you can. You know, just like in any marriage, you can take it for granted. But if if God can make me fall or Deb fall, it takes people down with you. It may not cause you to, to reject Christ. It may not cause, but it will surely hurt you. 
it'll hurt. Um, year, years and years and years ago, before I got into being a, a senior pastor, I had just started out in the ministry, and I had one of the most horrifying dreams I've ever had in my life. And in that dream, I had an affair. And in the dream, God showed me the ripple effect of how it affected person after person and even generation by that one stupid act. I mean, it was one of those dreams where I woke up shaking and just in a, in a sweat because it was horrifying. What it did to my children and so on and so forth. And I was like, okay, I don't understand. I mean, you start asking all these questions. Is that, what's this dream about? Is it, you know, foretelling the future? Or is it something I did now? I mean, what is it? What is the problem here? And the Holy Spirit said, no, I just wanted to show you what it would happen if you ever did that. I've had lots of those kind of dreams. So mm-hmm. Definitely solidifies that I don't ever want to do that. Exactly. Yep. I was a member of a church where our pastor divorced, and it just seems after that divorce happened, everything just, and the whole church was like a demonic spirit in that church. The, the team pastor committed suicide. I mean, there's just everything was just going bad in that church. You know, so I don't know. I've heard people that were in witchcraft and then got saved, and they said that they have assignments. They're assigned churches to go in and seduce the leadership, and mm-hmm. you know, because they want to break the church down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, there's an enemy out there. Because if 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 Satan can take down the leaders, it's like goose hunting. You know, the the old story about goose hunting. You shoot the lead goose, and the rest will fall on right to the ground. So I mean, it's. It isn't to lift the leader up; it's to protect the leader. We, you know, we need to we need to protect the leader. And here's really the first line of offense, offense, first line of defense <clears throat> is you pick the right person to do it first. You don't pick somebody who's has a shady character. You don't pick somebody who's continually making bad bad decisions in their lives. And so let's keep going with this. Um, oh, sure, it turns off just as I do them. You know, um, in addition to this potentially applying to divorced people and how that is taken one way or another, I know it's also taken to be married or are not married too. Mm-hmm. So if somebody who's never been married and wants to be in ministries, they'll in some cases be rejected because they aren't a husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, a person said to me one time that I wasn't ready for ministry because I wasn't married. And I was like, well, I don't think there's any scriptures like that. Because, you know, I don't think that one's that scripture. I think it's talking about, you know, I think it's talking about polygamy is what it's talking about. And, and they were they were dealing with that back then. So, But you're right. It, it, that isn't d- disqualified. Just because a person is divorced doesn't mean they're disqualified. Just because a person is not married doesn't mean they're disqualified. Now, will they have some hard things to get through? Absolutely. I mean, there is there, there is something amazing about being able to go home and whine to my wife. And no, be, and, and I used to, at, at first I started, I was felt a little guilty about it. How was your day? My life stunk today. You know, I did, this went wrong and that went wrong. And I thought, am I talking bad about, and I thought, no, we're one. I'm just venting. You have to be able to vent to somebody. And, and we don't. She doesn't judge that person. She doesn't judge me. I just vent, and it doesn't happen all the time. It just happens every once in a while. Where you have to vent, 
and you need somebody to talk to who's safe that won't pass it on, that won't say anything more, and won't look at that person in a bad light. You just because at the end you're really not mad at that person. You're mad at the situation they're in. And and that's see, and that's the difference between judging and making a judgment. You can make a judgment against the situation that they're in, and that it's a really horrible situation. But you're not saying they're a bad person because of it, because we can all get into bad situations. But there's a there's a definite um, uh, advantage to having a built-in <laughs> sounding board. But but as any husband knows, you have to then take care of that person because if all they are is a dumping station, that's not going to last very long either. You know, there has to be a relationship there, and you have to build that relationship and that relationship has to be more important than the ministry. Because if you don't have a, a, a solid relationship, you'll choose the ministry over the family. And that's the wrong order. I, I think that's another um, part of the benefit here is that it, to have been, or to be married it actually provides a context for preferring someone else over yourself. And, and a person that has never been married can have a very selfish <laughs> way about them that they never ever had the the need to get yeah to compromise yeah, compromise I was and that to up, the true die itself and, that yeah. comes mm-hmm. from being in a relationship and putting someone else first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh and you can go through all the different things humility you know Deb keeps me humble uh, one one Sunday. I, I preached a particularly good sermon. I mean, it was it was quite wonderful, and I was I thought it was I thought it was great. So we're driving home, and I said, "So Deb, what do you think of my sermon?" She goes, "Oh, John, that was awesome. That was a really amazing sermon. That was God, because you can't preach that way." <laughs> but, yeah, thanks. Jeez. Yeah, okay. I don't know exactly how to say take that. <laughs> I think I'll just take it the way you meant it. That you can't preach that good, all right? So it had to have been good. So, but so yeah, there's there's huge benefits, but it is a it is the canary in the in the mine. If there's something wrong in your marriage, there's something wrong with you, and and you, and, a, and a and a person needs to deal with that in life, but especially if you're leading other people. You know, things in my life that needed to be dealt with came out in my marriage. It, that's that's the indicator that that I know. Okay, I'm being selfish. Okay, I'm not listening. If I'm not listening to her, I'm not listening here, and that's not good. Neither one of those are good, and it, it teaches you. It's a it's a God set up a beautiful way to make us more holy. And and here's where I'll plug the book again. If you did, I give you guys a book called uh, the Sacred Marriage. Yes, I thought I did. <laughs> Nope, never saw. Yeah, yes, oh, I <laughs> read it again. You should read Sacred Marriage. Everybody here should read Sacred Marriage uh, by uh, think of his name. Fantastic book. the The opening line will set you back on your heels. Marriage is not to make you happy; it is to make you holy. And it's just, it is absolutely. He nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And we all need to read it on a regular basis because it, it, it will put you in your place and cause you to grow up even more. Okay, 
So if anyone, so verse six, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for, for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, going back, I, I, I jumped, I went through, read through a whole bunch there, but jumping back, your children are another indicator of your ability to lead. If you can't lead your kids, you should have, you have no, no right to lead the rest of the congregation or to lead a congregation. Um, if your kids make mistakes, does that disqualify you from ministry? No. Yeah. <laughs> because kids have kids are people. But what it says here specifically is if they're not believers, then there's a problem. There's something going on there that 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 they are are rejecting the kingdom. But they're also not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. If they are disciplined, if they're if they're loved, they're going to be in line. They're, the kids are kids want to be led. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. Not doesn't it doesn't mean that at all. Preachers' kids can make mistakes along with the best of them. But if they are if they're a, if they're a terror. Then there's something. Then there's something wrong. There's something that needs to be dealt with. And you weren't a terror, were you? It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Her dad's a minister. <laughs> Do you think that reflected on him, or more on you, or um, what's your opinion on that? Um, I I don't know. I I there are a lot of different sides of it, but I think it's. I think without everything that I went through, I would not have come willingly open arms to God. So mm-hmm. I think there was a reason for it. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> sure my parents would have loved it to be a lot easier. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, every parent wants a completely docile, oh, yes. Yes. totally a bit obedient child. But... <laughs> I, I have also had leaders whose kids have made big mistakes, big mistakes, come to me and say, "Here's my resignation," and it's like, "No, that's not the that's not the point of this. We're not talking about a kid who makes a mistake or has." Hey, Ethan came to me. So here's this here's this verse that says they have to be believers. Uh, when Ethan was about you know nine, somewhere between nine and eleven, he came to me and said, "Dad, I don't believe there's a God." <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> You know, okay, does that disqualify me from being a pastor? Did did that disqualify me from being a pastor at that moment? No, I didn't quit. <laughs> but if if God how do I say this? Immediately it scared the daylights out of me. 
I mean, what do you do about that? Your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I don't believe in God. And I immediately was, I was, it hurt. I mean, my, it just hurt inside. And I prayed and I said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, number one, relax. Just relax. Everything's going to be fine. And walk with him through it. How? What do I do? I mean, I don't even know what to do. I, what do you say? You don't want to, you know, you can't beat him into submission with God, you know, but you like to sometimes. And he said, when he taught, when he wants to talk about it, talk about it. When I give you something to say, say it. Lead him through it one day at a time. And it took a couple of years. It took a couple of years and never once got upset with him when he would ask questions, things that are so that were so easy and clear for me to understand. But he had to work through them. You know, we can't we can't make people make a confession. I mean, we can. Let me, let me rephrase that. We can make someone make a confession. You know, the, the, the Muslims do it all the time. But you can't make them do it out of, the, out of their heart. Like for you, you know, you, you, you probably always knew there was a God. No, you struggle with that part too? Okay. Uh, it's, I don't know. There was a time, um, but I think I, I suffered from really, really bad depression. Um, and so a lot of it's really hazy to me now because I, I don't like to think about mm-hmm. back then. And I don't like to, I mean, it was just like a black pit. Um, but I struggled really, really bad um, to the point that I did turn away from God. And <laughs> I searched out to Satan mm-hmm. because God wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. So maybe if I talked to Satan, um, he would at that point kill me, basically. And that didn't work. Um, but that didn't last for very long at all. And I just had like this crazy revelation. And I was probably 15 when I came back. Mm-hmm. And it only lasted for maybe a year, year and a half. But, I mean, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It was really bad. And, and that's the human condition. You know, left to our own devices, we'll, we will walk away. I, I walked away for five years. And you, I look back at it now and I think, what was I doing? But in the moment, it seemed like the right thing to do. So in that, God knew how to bring me back. He knew how to bring you back. He knew how to bring all of us through what we walk through. We have to believe that our kids, that God will do the same thing for our kids. and we, But we can't force them to do it. We have to allow them to make that decision. Yeah, but you want to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. Just look at it this way. But... Let me lay hands on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, through all of that, God gives you the grace to do it. This is talking about something far beyond that. You know, Eli's sons. You know, Eli's son, sons were, were, were openly uh, evil. evil, and he didn't do anything about it. That's, that's, that's what I believe, is if you don't do anything about it. Uh, I, had a, I had a person come to me one time and said, you know, well, my son is doing this, this, and this. And I said, well, what are you doing about it? Well, nothing. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to drive them away from me. I said, you're, you're already driving them away by not doing anything. 
you're they're they're they're, they're going to have contempt for you because you won't stand for your for your convictions. Um, you know, the, you know, I keep using Ethan, and I probably shouldn't. You know, I mean, I probably shouldn't, but it's, it's easy, I mean, and it's a it's a good example. Um, just because he didn't believe there was a God didn't mean he didn't get to have to come to church. My house, my rules, you're coming to church. And I'm not saying that a sermon he heard or a Sunday school class or any you know, youth group or anything like that was instrumental, because I know it wasn't. I know what brought him back. But my rules, my house. If we stick to our convictions, if we, if we hold to our truth, what we believe to be true, with with the consequences that go with it, then you know that that person's child who was doing these things on purpose, they said, "Well, what should I do?" I said, "I, I would lay on the law and say, you keep doing this. You're moving out of my house. Oh, I don't want to drive them away." I said, "You're going to lose them anyway. Do something. Do, what Eli didn't do is he didn't. You know, Eli was a priest and." His sons were were doing all kinds of nasty stuff. They were they were stealing the the uh, the offerings. They were what they having sex with the, some of the people that were coming and women were coming. So I mean they were just they were using their position of power for evil. And Eli wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't say anything to him. He wouldn't do. It. And because of that, God said, "You're done. You're going to die." And he and, and all three of them, the, the sons and Eli, died in the same day. I think in the same battle or the same whatever the situation was. So it's if you don't do anything, if you don't take the authority that's given to you. Now, that authority isn't a hard hand. It can be it can be doing something teaching or oh, preachers kids, I tell you what. Is that the ones making noise out there? It figures. <laughs> we were in here having a meeting one day and all of a sudden the kids were all in the in the sanctuary, all the chairs up and they were playing some game in there. And all of a sudden I hear, oh Boom! This wall and the whole wall shakes. And I went, that was mine. I had no idea; couldn't see a thing, but I knew it was mine. <laughs> okay, we better hurry up. I'm not even get through Titus one. All right. So he has to be a steward above. Must be above reproach. Not arrogant. Not quick tempered. Everything what we were just saying about you know it has to deal with our character. We have to be people of character. Um, not violent, not greedy, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Okay? Just like in Timothy, Paul is dealing with unsound doctrine. Unsound doctrine is a slippery slope. It just is, and it's not. It's not fun to contradict doctrine because people don't like to hear it. They don't like to hear the rebuke. They don't like to hear the. They, they don't like to hear the contradiction. But even in the contradiction, we need to be in. We need to walk in love. Um, I've had to stand up against. Um, People who have who have used unsound doctrine. Now, there's also a line. There's unsound pet doctrines, and then there is 
unsound doctrine that's dealing with the cross, the blood, the, the essentials, the cross, the blood of Jesus, the the salvation, eternal life, those kinds of things. Okay, pet doctrine, how you want to baptize somebody, I don't care. I don't care. You know, I don't, I, I believe the only way to baptize them is, or baptism is immersion. Immersion as a person who understands repentance, salvation, what they have done, it's an outward exp- uh, example of an inward choice that they have made. To me, that is the only doctrinal, correct doctrinal truth of what, of how to baptize. But I have friends who sprinkle. Okay, not going to argue with you. It doesn't matter. That that is not that. That's on the other side of that line, because I don't believe it's it's baptism that saves you it is the choice of your heart it's the it's the making jesus christ lord of your life it's the confession of your mouth those things are on the salvation side i've had to stand up against people who have who have who have tried to cut corners with salvation no we're not doing that here no i disagree no no it's not going to happen we're not going to teach that doctrine um, friend, not friends, acquaintances who have taught clear opposition or a clear opposite doctrinal truths that, okay, well, these certain people don't have to be saved. Wrong. No, that's not how it works. Everybody, everybody needs to be born again. Doesn't matter what race they're born into or gender or whatever. So at that point, those are the things that are absolute fight that's that's worth fighting for some of the all the pet ones yeah whatever if you want to be sloppy with your doctrine go ahead i don't want to be i don't want to be so okay we talked about that a lot in timothy we'll probably hit it a few more times here but he said here um that that the the ones who are overseers must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they're able to be given instru- give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. See, and there, that was on the salvation side of the discussion, because the circumcision group said you were saved through circumcision, not through the blood of Jesus, not through repentance, not through confession. They were saying, if you're circumcised, you're in. No, that's wrong. That's a, that's a wrong teaching. So Paul's saying, no, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna argue against those guys. You're, you need to be ready to do that, and our leaders need to be ready to do that. They must be silent, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. It's one of my favorite funny lines in the whole Bible. It's like, you know, this is a true testimony. They are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. (laughs) Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both, their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Those are really hard words. Those are, 
those are hard words for for that those people that they're talking to. But take it in the context of what's going on here. Whoever is saying that is setting themselves up as leaders. And they're not fulfilling. They don't have those requirements and what's coming out of them. If they don't have the requirements of the leader and they're considering themselves a leader, what's the words coming out of their mouth? Oh, well, you don't have to be saved. You just have to be circumcised. You know, the males have to be circumcised in the family and everybody in your family is saved. Hey, isn't that much easier? See, you don't have to do it. And you can't lose that. Because that's the way, you know. So because of their character, wrong teaching was coming out of their mouth. Good character follows a God relationship, a relationship with God. Good character follows that. Then a person who has good character because of a good relationship with, with the Father isn't going to teach heresy. If they're teaching heresy, there's something messed up on the other two levels. There's something going on there. Either their character is bad or their relationship with God is not right. And that's that's a that's a uh, that's a hard that's a hard thing to, to say. I mean it's, it's not hard to say it you can say it easily, but it's it's a hard truth that if there's somebody out there that's messed up that's saying some things that are messed up, it's because they're messed up. You know, back you know, back then there was so I found it so Inherent, we want to we want to return to the law. There's something about us that wants to be legalistic, and mm-hmm. and they're having to draw this clear separation between that because they're so close to to that time of the breaking of the Jew, mm-hmm. breaking away from that the rabbinic law, the all those the ordinances and stuff, and they have to be so clear about it because these people are trying to drag them back to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's easier to live by a set of rules than by a relationship. Yeah. Even today, I think it's absolutely. That's why we have whole denominations that that talk about hair length and 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 dress lengths and color of clothes and what kind of car you can drive and you know I mean just all the rules. What kind of music you can listen to and the kind of music you can't listen to. Rules now. Is it okay for you to have a rule for yourself that I won't do this? Absolutely. Unless that rule is not a God-led rule. If it's just a rule to keep you from maybe someday doing something wrong. Well, no, that's not, you know, that's not the right. It needs to be life or there's not any power in it. You know, I'm still, we're not off of that subject of what does it mean to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because that revelation that night, when you asked me that question, has set me free in so many areas. Things that I had struggled with for years, I don't struggle with them anymore. And that's not a pat on my back. That's, that is the grace of God because it's a revelation understanding that I don't do those things because it's wrong. I don't have to think that way anymore. It's freedom. I don't do them because it's wrong. I do them I don't do them because I want I want to obey Christ. I want to have a relation. I want to hunger after His righteousness, and His righteousness doesn't even bother itself with what would be the wrong thing to do here, because it's always looking for what is the right thing to do here. And you fill your life up with what's the right thing to do, and you'll do the right thing. Huh? Isn't that amazing? It's easy. It is easy. <laughs> you think of it. 
You know, I mean, it's just like, okay, I'm free in that area now. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that there isn't a temptation. There's always the temptation. I mean, the world's full of the temptation. But the, 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 the power that that sin has is broken. When we have that understanding that for freedom he has set us free, not to not do the wrong thing, but to do the right thing. And that sounds like, that sounds like a play on words, but it's truly not. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true revelation of the grace of God that I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to know him more. I want to, I want to be with him more. I want to be like him more. And in that situation, he wouldn't do that right now. He wouldn't, he wouldn't follow that link. He wouldn't, he wouldn't dwell on that thought or that picture. He wouldn't, you know, whatever it may be. A lot of people have a question why, you know, in our home, you know, I want to do Hanukkah, I want to do Passover, I want to do these feasts that the Lord, I believe, wants us to do. But it's not anywhere near anything about legalism. Mm-hmm. It's about wanting to grow closer to Him, wanting to know Him more and having, being closer. And I believe these things draw us closer to Him through our knowledge and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Think people get real confused with things, you know. Well, they, they've seen they've seen the other side of it. Yeah, seen and heard. You know, they've seen and heard the other side of it. I mean, I mean, I, we didn't grow up with that. That you know, I didn't even know that world existed until you know middle eighties when mm-hmm. when I met somebody where we did a seder meal one night. I was like, what the heck's a seder meal? Why would we do this? Well, when I was explaining to me what it was, well, that was interesting. So I'm. But we ne- I never grew up with that stuff. Had no no clue that it, people even went after it. But we, but we were legalistic in a whole lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. Can't play cards. Can't dance. Can't watch this. Can't go to that movie. Can't can't go to movies at all. Can't go to the circus. Can't go to really? you know circus? oh horrible <laughs> sin running rampant elephants and llamas in the same cage and it just you know <laughs> completely out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right. Let us pray. Who would like to pray? Jolene, want to pray? Father, we just thank you. You are so awesome. We just thank you for your kindness and your patience and your joy, your love. Help us to have those same qualities so that you can be proud of us too. Thank you. Forgive us for our sins. Those sins that we know and sins that we don't know, you know them all, Lord. And we just thank you for the protection, for the favor of our lives, and help us to make the right decisions. We just praise you and worship you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.